Okay, folks, we're going to get ready to get started. What a wonderful way to spend a Tuesday evening. Now, for you that came in late, you probably noticed that you had to come down front because in this Lutheran hour, we fill up from the back coming forward. I'm Pastor Daryl Sutton of King of Kings Christian Fellowship here in town. Uh, Nancy and I had talked about this for a little while, and I just thought it would be wonderful to get together on a Tuesday night and just do a, a, a good old-fashioned gospel service. We sing a few hymns, and then we'll preach the word to you, but we're so glad to be here with you this evening. I do want to read a, a verse of scripture. Oh, here's mine. Okay, here we are. I want to read a verse out of the gospel of Luke, because that is where I'm going to come from after a little while, but in Luke chapter 15, just a few verses here, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me, and he divided unto him his living. And not many days afterwards, the younger son gathered everything together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have fain filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave him to eat. And when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread Enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Let's have a word of prayer. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We love you front row people. Love you front row people. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, what a blessing it is to be able to serve you and to love you. And now for a few moments, as we've gathered in this chapel, we need your presence. We pray, Lord, as we begin to sing the songs of Zion, that our voices would bring glory to your name. And then, Father, later, when I begin to minister the word, we only ask that you give us all ears to hear. Help me speak clearly these things we do pray for in the matchless name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Just a few moments. A very simple thought in thinking about the prodigal son, turn back to God, turn back to God. It's easy to get away from God. It's easy to forget about how important he is to your life. We can become encumbered by so many things in this world that we forget the rich heritage that the Lord has given to us and then sometimes go out and waste it. For a few moments as we think about this prodigal, I pray the Lord speaks to all of our hearts. Just a brief prayer one more time. Father, again, it is our privilege to be able to break the bread of life. These folks have heard the gospel numerous times. Father, let something be said today that would cause us to think more clearly about how wonderful, how gracious, how compassionate you are. And Father, thank you for providing a facility where we could all come and sing the songs of Zion and glorify your son. These things we do pray for in Jesus' name. Amen.
Many decades ago, a missionary was laboring in Paris, France. He was there because he wanted to learn the French language. He would spend all day long in school trying to learn that beautiful tongue. In the evening when he would come home, he said that he had a neighbor who had been a student of Picasso, that wonderful world-renowned painter. He said that he went to this gentleman's house very often in the evening times just to break up his own pattern of studying the languages and wanted to relax his mind. On one occasion, he walked into that room where the gentleman was and he noticed he had all of the paints out and his brushes and the various canvases. And he noticed there were, there were some stones that this painter had nearby. And he said to the gentleman, he said, what are these stones for? And that painter said to him, when you're working with different colors on a canvas and you see the various shades of blue and different shades of red, when you're mixing all of the different colors, he said, it's always good to have these stones here, which gives me the image of a true red and a true blue. He says in the the midst of putting together a portrait, it's easy for a painter's eyes to become jaded. They lose the ability to recognize the sharpness of the colors and the imagery. I thought about that when I think about the scriptures, the Bible being the word of God. Nothing in this world is as important or as precious as this. This is the guidebook that leads men from earth to heaven. This is the book that the psalmist told us would be a lamp unto our feet. This is the book that tells us about the first origin of man. God placed Adam and Eve in a garden, gave them a commission. He said to them, you can eat of every tree in the garden, but of this one specific tree, you are to avoid it at all costs. But an adversary came in and tempted them. And through that deception, and through their sin, everyone that comes into this world today is born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Paul says it this way in Romans. He says, because of one man's iniquity, all of us have become sinners. But because of one man's death, reconciliation, man and God on that cross, many have been made righteous. This book tells us of the second origin of man, of Noah. God was so displeased with the world because of its iniquity and its sin that the flood came into this world and wiped out everyone. People died. Eight people survived on an ark. When Moses, or excuse me, Noah came off of that ark, then the Lord said to him, be fruitful and multiply. He heard the word of the Lord. So from Noah also, we can say we are all descendants. Just as we are descendants of Adam and Eve. Well, the scripture gives us the story of the debilitating effects of sin upon mankind. It shows us what happens when war comes and rape and murder and lies and deception. But if it gives us an image that is unholy and unseemly, it also gives us the beautiful picture from the mind of God of how man can move from ruin to redemption. God doesn't leave you outside the garden in sin. 
God doesn't leave the image of the adversary in a place of victory. He goes out of his way to weave throughout this story a beautiful scarlet thread of redemption. And whenever we take up the book and begin to read it, we get images of the Lord Jesus Christ because various attributes of his are scattered from Genesis all the way through Malachi. The Bible calls Moses the meekest man in the earth. That kind of humility is an attribute of Christ. Abraham is called the friend of God. David is called a man after my own heart, after God's own heart. But when Christ comes in the flesh and he stands upon this earth, then all of perfection inhabits him. He who knew no sin became sin. Jesus never had to apologize to anybody. He never told a lie. There was nothing that he did that he needed to be sorry about, but it grieved him the way people disobeyed God. So the Gospels give us images and portraits of the Lord Jesus that are good for us to study. Matthew paints the picture of Jesus and his Galilean ministry. Predominantly, it deals with the area of ministry around the Galilee Sea. It's John that gives us the image of Jesus as God incarnate in the flesh. He came to tabernacle amongst men and the miracles were specifically chosen to lead people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. John says at the end of his book, these things were written that you might believe that Jesus is the son of God and that believing in him, you might have life through his name. And Mark's gospel, although it's abbreviated, gives you a a context of Jesus ministry that is supernatural in a way that is different than some of the others. Because Jesus is able to take a man outside of the town and place his fingers in his ears and touch his tongue and a man is made whole. But it's Luke that gives you what technically is the first Bible study curriculum regarding Jesus. Luke wrote his gospel for a man who wanted to know the basic principles of Jesus' life. Luke starts with the birth, deals with the baptism of the Lord. He deals with the Sermon on the Mount that took place, and he gives us one illustration after another of the Son of Man. But he gives us also the the interaction between Jesus and these religious people, the Pharisees, the scribes, the publicans, much more interested in preserving tradition than they were in saving souls. Why is it that masses of people came to the Lord Jesus Christ? It was love. You could come to Jesus with whatever kind of sins you had and you would find somebody that was merciful to you. That's why Luke tells us of the lady that came and she was filled with sin and the people looked at her and said, what kind of a prophet is this that lets a sinner reach out and embrace him this way? If he really knew how bad she was. He wouldn't let her touch him. And though that woman bathed Jesus' feet with her tears, everybody came to understand that Jesus' compassion and mercy was great. How many sins have been covered in this room by the blood of Jesus? How much sin has been forgiven by the Lord in the last 10 years, in the last day, because of how we've lived before God? 
How many times have you had to pray and say, oh, God, forgive me for what I said. Forgive me for what I did. I promised you, God, that I would never do it again. But yet you did it again. And Jesus still loved you. That's the point. The scribes and the Pharisees were keepers of tradition. There are many people like that. They're more interested in their traditions than they are in souls. I hope you're not like that. I've met people that could recite to me every question from whatever kind of Bible training they received as a child, but could not not talk to me about Scripture. I've met people who have made it plainly apparent to me that what is important to them is the name on the building of a church rather than a soul that can be saved. But God doesn't save names on church buildings. He saves people. And when he looks around the world, he's looking for people whose sins have been washed in the blood. He's looking for somebody who has his brand, his seal upon them. These men had lost that. They had been involved with scripture for a long time. But even though they were involved with scripture, they had fallen away from God. I have seen people like that in my lifetime. Been in church all of their life. But after 40 years in church, they're still mean as a junkyard dog. But God has a plan. And God's plan is for people to recognize that he's interested in souls. And so Jesus tells some parables. And what is a parable? A parable is a story in which several truths are cast. And he uses that story to introduce people to those truths at different points in the story. So that when you hear it, it affects you in a powerful way. Jesus said there's somebody that had lost a sheep and left the 99 and went after the one. Somebody else might say, I'd never leave the 99 for the loss of profit just to chase after the one. But Jesus teaches in that parable that even the one is precious and priceless to him. He tells the story of the woman that swept her house looking for a lost coin. Somebody says, what difference does a quarter or a dime or a 50 cent piece make? It doesn't make much It doesn't make much sense for you to do it if you don't put much price or value on that particular coin. But the woman, she cared about that coin and she swept the house looking for it. That's what Jesus does. He searches throughout the valleys and the mountaintops around this world looking for that one person that's lost. Looking for that one that's sitting in a bar. That tonight has their belly pressed up against the bar and they're staring at life through the bottom of an empty shot glass. Where they're drinking their life away through a 40 ounce bottle. You see them in the stores week after week when they go and buy a case of beer and they're trying to drink their troubles away. And that is the one that Jesus is interested in. Sometimes the people in society say that person isn't important to me. And he or she is of no particular value, but they're of value to God. And it's for this reason that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and sent that son into the world to die for these people. So Jesus gives them another story. Says there was a gentleman that had some sons. And one day the younger son came to the father and wanted the inheritance before daddy died. According to the Old Testament, once the father would pass away, then the properties and monies would be divvied up to his boys. It's a patriarchal society. 
And here this young, young man had the audacity to go to his dad and said, Dad, I'm not willing to wait for you to kick the bucket. I've been sitting around here working for you for years. I'm tired. I need to spread my wings and go and sow some wild oats. I want what's coming to me, and I want it right now. now I don't know what kind of family you were raised in, but I do know that with my father... Had I gone to say to my father, I'm not willing to wait until you pass away. I want everything that belongs to me. Now, my dad would have said, boy, everything I own is mine. You didn't work for any of it. You don't even own the britches that you're wearing right now. And then afterwards, when I finally would have got up off the floor and then try to get myself together again, I would have realized if I'm going to take a journey, I probably would have went with empty pockets. But not this dad. This dad knew the kind of boy that he had, just like most parents. You raise your kids, you know their strengths, you know their weaknesses, but yet sometimes you allow them to do things that you know not always going to be beneficial to them. And so this father gave this young man what was going to him. That young man didn't go to the next village. He didn't go a few miles down the road. He went far away into another country where nobody knew who he was. He walked away from his background. He walked away from his heritage, but he had his inheritance. And as long as he had the money, he had friends. He had popularity. People enjoyed him. But out there in that far country, he wasted his substance with riotous living. That, that is a, a very nice way of telling you that a man lived shamefully. Riotous living. Have you ever been there? Have you ever tried that? Have you ever seen people when they get away from home, they act differently than they did when they were at home? I saw it in the military. I saw many children raised in church, many preachers' kids and deacons' kids and board members' children who, when they got into the military and headed to a far country and went off in different places, they could do whatever they wanted because there was no accountability now. As long as there was money. They could lay in bed with whoever they wanted. They could experiment with drugs if that was their desire. But I don't have a doubt this father's heart was breaking every day. In a few weeks, there'll be many kids going off to college. Parents will be praying because they know their children. Some of these kids are going to go off to college and maybe join a fraternity or sorority or some other kind of peer group. And it may not necessarily be a positive benefit to them. And they're going to end up doing things that are not going to be nice. But I can promise you, as long as you have money, you'll have a crowd of people around you. But when the young man ran out of money and had spent everything. He realized, I'm too proud to go home and tell daddy I've messed up my life. He said, I'll try making a living out here on my own. Good little Jewish boy ended up working where he was slopping hogs, dealing with swine, which was against the Jewish tradition. But when you have forsaken your inheritance, 
burned bridges as you understand them, spend all of your money, you'll compromise every virtue that you were raised with. I give you my word tonight, somewhere in a large city on the West Coast or East Coast, as dusk comes, there'll be ladies that'll paint themselves up and go out and sell themselves on the street corner somewhere, and they weren't raised like that. Mom and dad didn't raise them like that. I can promise you that somewhere on the street corner there's somebody that's selling drugs to somebody, but they weren't raised like that. But because of a choice that they made, their values ended up being compromised, and they said, how did I end up in this hog pen? Because that's what it is. Whenever a little child wakes up in the morning and has to dress themselves because there's no one to look after them and mom and dad have passed out in the garage because they're inebriated. It's a hog pen. Whenever somebody gets off work and they, they, they want to be with their spouse but they've come to the point where they're no longer in love with each other and so rather than driving directly home they'll drive around the block sometimes six and seven times looking for somewhere to go because they don't want to go home and fight with a spouse again. It's hog pen. Whenever a teenager would rather spend more time with the coach and the teachers rather than spend time with their own family because of the things that are taking place. It's a hog pit. This young man found himself doing things he thought he would never do. But the happy side of it is that he came to himself. That's what happened to you one day. You thought about your life, you thought about how you were raised, you were doing this, you were doing that, but after a little bit of contemplation and reflection, you realize, I don't have to live this way. I can turn back to my father. That's what he did. I don't even know if he bothered to tell the boss goodbye. I'm not sure he bothered to take a bath. He jumped up, got on his feet and made his way home. And he started that long journey. Here's a man that left with an inheritance, but he's coming home with nothing. And I guarantee that every day that he was gone, his dad would walk out there to the fence post at the end of that long driveway just to look and see if his son was coming back. He'd go out there on Monday, don't see a soul. Go out there on Tuesday and Wednesday, didn't see a soul. This went on for months, and then one day he's out there and he happens to look down the road and he's thinking to himself, that, that looks like my boy. I, I know that walk. I know that gate. I see him coming up the road. He calls a servant. He says, look, tell me, doesn't that look like my boy? I say, yes, sir, that does look like him. Dad takes off into a little trot and the son sees the dad and they run and embrace each other. And the scripture says they fell on each other's neck, hog pin and all. That boy's probably got gnats and fleas and everything else. But love covers a multitude of sins and daddy loves on him. Because a dad and a mom will put up with things that other people won't put up with in their own kids and forgive them. And when you think about our Heavenly Father, how much He loved you, how much He loved me, what He has put up with us, He blessed us, enriched us, and gave us an inheritance knowing that we would squander it. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, to take this from an individual thing to a national thing, 
You look back on the history of this great nation. We had individuals that came from Europe to this area because they were wanting to find freedom of expression in their religion. They wanted to be out from under the constraints of a national religion, a national church. And they boarded ships. Many of them died en route to this area, to this country. But one by one, those boats made it here and people got off and they began to pioneer. These old colonists doing the best that they could to try to establish some kind of a nation or a country. People loved God in those days. In those villages on the East Coast in the original colonies, you had to be a member of a church in order to even vote. People went to church. Politicians ran for office. They looked over their shoulders to hear what the preacher was saying from the pulpit to make sure they were in step and in line with the values and views of the preacher of that particular period. But look at how preachers are mocked today on television, radio, in the community. People tell dirty jokes and foul jokes in the presence of a preacher. They don't care, have any respect at all. Those individuals came and they homesteaded. Sunday schools began out of the churches. They felt like the little children ought to learn something from the little blueback spellers that people had. Teach them the English language from the scriptures. Child after child was raised with some degree of godliness, values, and virtues. Then pretty soon, the very liberty that we have that gives us the right to tell everyone that we love Jesus, people began to turn that liberty against us. Look at the world that we have today. Some of you in here know that your grandparents and great-grandparents would turn over in their grave if they had any inkling of the kind of a nation that we live in today. Turn their backs on God. It's almost as though God has his arms stretched out towards our nation today saying, I love you, come back to me, turn back to me. But we've turned our backs to God and we no longer need you today. And this is what we see is happening. We're, we're squandering the inheritance that we have. When people used to love the founding fathers, you can find many people today don't care much about them at all. Things have changed. People's opinions have changed. And slowly but surely, we're losing our mind in utter confusion. We find ourselves today in a hog pen. What does a hog pen look like for people today? For churches, for a nation, a hog pen looks like a generation that doesn't know which bathroom a boy and a girl ought to use. It's a hog pen. A hog pen today is to tell the parents that the little kids in school, they can go off and have a major surgical procedure during the school day without ever notifying the parent. If they want to take the life of a child, they can do it. It's no longer the business of the parents during school day, but those same people that say that a child should be able to do that will send a piece of paper home and have mom and dad sign it just so the kids can go to a museum. The hog pen. Slowly but surely, Losing our mind. 
but it's possible for a nation to come to itself. But it begins with people like you, it begins with people like me, our grandchildren, our children, our cousins, our siblings, our parents don't have to lay there in the hog pen. Somebody has to have a place to which they can return. Somebody has to know right from wrong. And if the gospel is preached the way that it should, then people will know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That Jesus hung on the cross and interposed himself between the wrath of God descending from heaven and the sins of man here on planet earth. And because Jesus stood in that place on our behalf, his death means that when we trust in his shed blood, we're justified from our sins. Made clean, made whole, wholly redeemed. What does it mean to be a believer and a Christian? means to act like Christ. It's impossible to separate belief and behavior. The two go together. The young man came and found a father that loved him and embraced him. Father said, bring him some new clothes. Put a ring on his finger. Kill a fatted calf and let's feed him. He's been out there eating all of that bad stuff. We need to get some good nourishment inside his body. Are you hungry for more of God today? When you think about your Christian life, can you say that there's a yearning in you to surrender more to God and to have more of God? Or have you come to the place in your life where nothing really matters anymore when it comes to your Christian life? You just wave the white flag of surrender and said, I give up. I can't say anything to anybody because my grandkids won't respect me. I can't say anything to my children because they won't listen to me. Folks, let me tell you something. We have one life to live and then we die. Every one of us in here tonight from the young people to the elderly, we are all one breath, one heartbeat from eternity. You better make the best of it. Because once a person stops breathing, there is no other opportunity on the other side. But when God speaks, it's beautiful. I'll finish with this story. Great missionary man was on his way to Europe. He was raised in a family with about ten kids or so. And... Um, all of them were raised in church. They knew what it was to be in the altar on their knees praying. They knew what it was to have the adults laying hands on them. Every one of them were musicians, played the trumpet and violin and guitar and piano and accordion and other kinds of instruments. As they got older, one of the brothers went off to the war where it were two. But when he came home, he never darkened the door of a church again. And his brothers couldn't understand it. His sisters couldn't understand it. They, they talked to the mother and said, Mom, I don't know what's going on. What, what are we going to do? We've got to try to figure out how we're going to handle this. We, we're trying to talk to him, but he, he doesn't want to open up. He doesn't want to go to church. He eventually married, had beautiful children, never took them to church, never prayed with them or talked about God. And the one older brother, Charlie, he said he talked to his mom and said, Mom, what, what are we going to do about him? He, he doesn't want to serve God. And his mom kept saying to him, don't worry about it. I've already talked to God. 
he's going to make it. And Charlie and all the other siblings were saying, if he's going to make it, it doesn't look like he's going to make it today because he's not serving God at all. Charlie was in his office in Missouri, got a phone call as he was on his way to catch a plane to go to Europe. Then the phone call said, you need to get here to Boston as fast as you can. Your brother fell over dead last night or this morning, I should say. Well, they had been believing for years. The younger brother is now dead. Charlie said he sat there at that desk and began to weep. He said he wasn't weeping for his brother. He couldn't do anything about him. He said he was weeping for a mama that prayed and prayed and prayed that a boy would come back to God, and he never did. So he got on that plane and made the arrangements, went to Boston, got a said he could only be there, not even for the funeral. He could come there during the wake part to see the body, but he had to fly out the next day. So he got there for visitation, and he walked in. His brother was in a cask, and he walked over there, looked at him in there, just began to cry. He couldn't stop crying, looking at his baby brother. Off in the corner was his sister-in-law, the decedent's wife. And she beckoned for Charlie, said, come over here. And Charlie went over there and she said, I, I don't know if this means anything to you. To, I, I don't even really understand it. But he said, last night, your brother did this oddest thing. He said, well, what, what happened? He said, last night when he had come home and he got in kind of late, he said, rather than just getting in that bed, he said he walked over into the bedroom where the boys were at and said, kissed each one of the boys on the forehead like he was saying goodbye. Then he came back to the bedroom and he said, I've never seen him do this before in my life. She said, all our married life, said he got down on his knees and said he bowed his head and started praying. She said, I didn't know your brother knew how to pray. Said he lifted his hands to heaven, hot tears were rolling down his face as he wept. She said, I never knew your brother knew how to pray. I never knew your brother knew any other languages. Well, the brother afterwards got up and called his mother on the telephone and said to his mom, said, Mom, I don't believe it's as bad as we thought it was. She said, well, I told you it wasn't. I've been telling you over and over again, he's going to make it. God is, God is not going to leave our prayers unanswered. He's going to make it. Here's a man that lived his adult life without the Lord, but in the final hours turned back to God. It's never too late. If the Bible tells the story of a thief on the cross, then you need to know in this world in which we live, it still happens. So no matter where you are in your Christian relationship tonight, don't be the prodigal. Be the one that turns back. Don't be involved with the riotous living. Don't be so offended at your parents or some preacher from the past or some friend that angered you. Turn back to God. Remember the ancient paths. Turn back to the old way that has led so many millions to heaven. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, it's our joy to think about how you've redeemed mankind through the death of your son. But more importantly, God, we know that death is sufficient for everybody, but efficient only for those who believe. 
So God, I ask you in this place tonight, there be a soul running from you, turn them back. And everyone that's yet, <clears throat> that's yet in your arms, continue to lead them and guide them. Because truly, your grace is amazing. Father, it's been our pleasure to be here in fellowship and in this chapel this evening. But now, Lord, we're asking you to cause your face to shine upon each one of us. So that when we depart from this place, but never from your presence, we'll be able to sense your presence around us and with us throughout the ensuing days. We love you, we worship you, and we thank you in advance. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, Amen. 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 You can turn and shake somebody's hand tonight. Amen. Speaking encouraging words, tell them you look good this evening.